you go downstairs, you're not going to come back upstairs ever. It's like the best place you'll ever go. Um, okay, I want to talk about prayer today. Uh, how, do you ever like wonder how to pray for people? Like people come to you and say, hey, can you pray for me? And you're like, how do I do that really, really well? Or they just ask you to pray for weird things. You're like, I wish I knew how to do this better. Anybody in the house like wish they knew how to pray for people better? Okay, we're, we're going to learn from Jesus today, the master of praying for people, how to pray for people better. Um, sometimes it's easy. Like someone says, hey, my grandmother's sick. Okay, that's a no-brainer. God loves grandmothers, doesn't want them to be sick. Okay, that's easy. You just, please make grandma feel better, all right? Uh, so, th- and this actually is a prayer request. Chris's mom, Chris is my wife if you're new, her mom, my kid's grand- grandmother broke her pelvis uh, last week and so, or two weeks ago, and so Chris is flying out tomorrow to take care of her, so play for her grandmother, but just as, uh, maybe not, almost as important. Uh, I'm going to be a single dad to two little kids. One has strep throat and just pray, pray, pray that I don't do irreparable damage to them. Okay? We're eating chocolate cake and we're going to stay home tomorrow. Uh, <clears throat> so that's easy. That's a layup. God loves grandmothers. God loves grandkids. You just pray for them and, and that's easy. But then sometimes it gets a little more complicated. I've been watching these John Christ videos. He's this uh, uh, Christian comedian. And he's got like a whole series on like just weird, awkward moments when you pray. And, and one of them I hadn't thought of, like, what if you have like a type A mom and we have, we might have a few here at Restoration, okay? You got a type A mom and she's got a son, we'll call him Johnny, and he's like in the finals of a jiu-jitsu tournament, you know, like Danny over here used to be. What do you do? Like when she says, hey, can you pray that little Johnny wins? He's in the finals. What do you do? Did you feel the conundrum there? Jesus said, like, turn the other cheek, not kick the other cheek. These are moments we face as followers of Jesus. So do you, like, put your hand on her shoulder and start praying for little Johnny to win? Do you, God, please help little Johnny, like, convincingly win this tournament. We, we pray for a, a swift roundhouse kick right to that little image bearer's head that is his opponent, leaving him writhing on the ground, convincing the... Uh, the judges in a unanimous decision that, that Johnny has won this tournament because, you know, if you ain't first, you're last. So, amen, amen, right? I don't think you pray that way. I'm not sure God cares about whether Johnny wins the jiu-jitsu tournament or, or, or not, okay? All right, someone asked you to pray for their cat. What do you do? Okay, last week, Jason did a, one of his best messages ever. He gave a brief theology of God and cats, and he made it clear God doesn't want us to pray for cats. So you don't pray for the cat, right? You don't. And if anything, you pray for the stewardship of the owner of the cat because she can go, cats are like, what, 20 bucks? You can go to a fire station and you can buy, you can get a cat for free at a fire station where people drop off all the only cats in the world. You take the cat to a vet, that's 200 bucks, you know? $200 you can spend on things God actually does care about, like widows and orphans and missionaries and people who lost their houses and wars, stuff like that, Okay. We find ourselves like in these awkward circumstances at times, like how do I pray for that? But in all seriousness, most of us could learn a few things about how to pray deeper. Yeah, we want to we want to pray for the basic presenting problems people have, sick grandmothers and sick kids and terminal cats and all that kind of stuff. But but we want to pray deeper. And so we're gonna learn from Jesus how to pray at a deeper level for people, a more meaningful level. Okay, because Jesus said he wants our house, our church to be a house of prayer. So here's, here's the setting. Uh, it's, it's the last night before Jesus goes to the cross, and we've been in this series called uh, Final Words. And so Jesus has been teaching some really important stuff. 
But he also drops every once in a while in the conversation the fact that he's going to go and die. And that this, this band of brothers that's been together now for two and a half years is going to be disbanded. And so the disciples, their anxiety level is getting really, really high. They're having like separation anxiety issues. And they're grieving. They're grieving the fact they're going to lose Jesus. They're also grieving their dream. They thought Jesus would be this great king and kick the Romans' rears and, you know, take over, take over the Middle East and all that kind of stuff. And they're realizing none of this is going to happen. And, and so they're grieving, they're anxious, they're stressed out. And so what does Jesus do? He prays for them. And we're going to learn, we have to actually listen in, in John chapter 17. The whole thing is a prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus in the Bible. We get to listen in on exactly what he prayed for. Okay? And there's a lot we could cover today, but I'm going to cover two things. First of all, he prayed for their protection from the evil one. John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. Okay, so why did Jesus pray this for them? He could have prayed so, so many things. He could have prayed for their health, their grandmothers, jujitsu tournaments, catch more fish, whatever. But he prays that they would be protected from the evil one. Okay, so to understand what he prayed for, we have to understand the core message of Jesus, which is just, it's assumed throughout his prayer. The core message of Jesus, we call it the gospel. And it means like good news. It's the whole reason Jesus came into the world, to give us this, this incredible message of good news. Now, there's all kinds of ways to understand the gospel and share the gospel. Um, at Restoration, we often use this thing called the three-circle diagram. It's right here, okay? And um, let me kind of give you a quick overview. So we were made to live in, in this world, this world. This is a world full of God's love. We were made to, meant to be filled with God's love all the time. And we were meant to live in unity and oneness with God at all times. And then guess what? If we're one with God and we're filled with God's love, how do we treat each other? We love each other perfectly. And we were meant to be a unity and diversity. Different, kind of like God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but, but in unity. Okay? So we're meant to live in this, this high, high state of oneness. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit. But we live over here in this broken world where we are separated from God. Over here, we have, we have disease, we have brokenness, we have pathologies, neuroses, you name it. Las Vegas Raiders, cats, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And we'll talk about why we, we'll, we'll talk about more in a few minutes about why we live here, not over there. Um, Augustine said, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. When we're not one with God, we are not at rest. We're not at peace. We all these deeply primal questions that we asked, that the disciples were asking on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Questions like, am I wanted? Why am I even here? What's the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of my suffering? Am I successful? Is my life significant? Uh, am I loved? A am I wanted? But we don't live with the answers God has for us over here. Yes, 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 yes. All those things are true. They're all yes and the amen in Jesus Christ. We, we live over here, separated from God, and the disciples were feeling that that evening. Carl Jung once said, all neurosis is rooted in a sense of separation. So just like the disciples felt on that particular evening, we, we live with a spiritual separation anxiety caused by our sin. So how do we get from, you really want to go to that next slide, I know. How do we get from here to here? The evil one. The evil one lies to us. 
It constantly tells us we don't have what we really need here. God's not that good. And so follow me over here. And we go chasing our tail in, in a broken world. So anytime you, you read about an idea in the Bible like the evil one, the idea of the evil one, you want to ask yourself, hey, where have I read about the evil one before? Because you, you'll see as you go through the Bible that the key themes and topics just keep coming back up and back up. It's like circular, but making progress. There's like a telemetry. And because there's a telemetry to every idea in the Bible, you always want to go back to the first time you see a theme or a topic in the Bible. Okay? It's called the principle of first mention. Where's the first time we actually hear about the evil one in the Bible? Genesis, very good. Genesis chapter 3, okay? But the Bible is this, this unified story that points us to Jesus. And so we got to read Genesis 3 in context. We have to start with Genesis chapter 1 where God creates the universe. And then at the end of Genesis 1, he creates us. We're the apex of his creation. And it says about us, this is the story of us in Genesis 1.26, let us, meaning the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Okay? So we bear his image. We bear the image of God, which means we, we, we're not omnipotent, omniscient, all the omnis, but we have a lot of similarities to God. We, we, uh, we're similar to God in terms of character, especially when our character is good, uh, dignity, worth, morality, creativity, beauty, purposefulness. Relationality, God's relational, we're relational. So in all kinds of ways, we're like, we're like God. So put, put a pin right there for a second. We're going to come back to that idea. Now I'm going to read to you a verse from the temptation story in Genesis chapter 3 where the evil one first shows up for the very first time in the Bible. The evil one says to Eve, Adam's wife in Genesis 3, 5, God knows that when you eat from it, this fruit that, that God told Adam, don't eat from that one. Your eyes will be opened and you will what? You will be like God. Do you see what happened there? Where's the lie? Genesis 1.26. We're made in the likeness of God. So the evil one was telling them a lie. They already were like God. But he's saying, hey, follow me, believe my lies, and I'll make you like God. So we learn a lot about how the evil one works just from this, this origin story. First of all, the purpose of the evil one's temptations and lies are to separate us from God. Back to the three circles. He's trying to get us away from oneness, fulfillment, the satisfaction of our heart's deepest longings, the answers to all the primal questions we ask. He's trying to separate us and move us over, over here. And he lies to us. So he separates us through lies, but also the evil one tempts us by telling us that we do not have what we actually do have. They already were made in the likeness of God. And so he lied to them. He's like a really good used car salesman. But instead of selling other, you know, other used cars, he sells to us our own car. And we're so gullible. Like we're such suckers. We, we buy it over and over again. We keep buying our own car. I mean, if, if somebody did that, you go, you're kind of nuts. That's us. Okay. On number three, he, the evil one always says no where God says yes. So God says, yes, you're safe. With me, if you're right with me, unify with me, you're safe. You're safe, you're secure. You're going to be secure for all of eternity. Yes, I'll let you suffer. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But you're significant. Your life has purpose. You're, you're loved. You're wanted. You're seen. Everything. Everything is yes in, in Christ. And the, the evil one says no. 
The, the evil one creates questions where God creates statements. The, the implicit answer in all his questions is no. You don't have what God says you have. Did God really say? Remember how he led into the temptation? Did God really say? Question mark. Trying to get Eve to doubt the truthfulness of God, the goodness of God. Are you really safe? Does God really love you? Does God really, does he really want you? Has he really forgiven you? The evil one always creates doubt where God wants to create confidence. And, and we're just suckers. <laughs> we, we buy into the lies of the evil one that keeps separating us from God and lower our state of being as humans. You do it and I do it. So I was in, a, uh, in New York a few weeks ago staying at a hotel, and I was there to see my, my grandson. Here's my grandson. Come on. Yeah, let's do that again. Collective awe. Oh, yeah. Is he a cutie or what, man? So stinking cute, man. So my, my son-in-law's Italian, so he got his olive skin instead of my pasty skin. Beautiful kid, man. Look at the eyes. I mean, he's, so we had a blast. We got to hang out with my, my, my daughter, my son-in-law, my new grandson. I got three grandkids, first grandson. It, it, was, it was great. And then went back to the hotel we were staying and took the kids swimming. I get up the next morning. We're heading back to Denver. And uh, I did my morning routine. So I got up and I went downstairs and I worked out. Then I went and had a quiet time with a new fresh cup of coffee. Life is good. Did a little bit of work. Answered some emails. And then I went back upstairs to the hotel room. And then I realized I left my uh, Patagonia vest downstairs in New York. What did I think? I go... There's no way that thing is there. So I run downstairs as fast as I can. It's only been a few minutes. And I, I look in the gym. It's nowhere to be found in the gym. I go look under the chairs. I'm looking over the place, you know, in the, like the waiting area. I talk to people who are at the front desk about lost and found. And, and, I, and I'm getting escalated because this, this, this vest is like my binky. And do you have an article of clothing? Like you, when you put it on, you just feel right with the world. You feel more at one with God. Like... That's my Patagonia vest. I'm like, man, I'm going to be so bummed if someone stole that vest. And so then I started getting more and more escalated. I'm tired. I haven't slept much. I've just got back from India, jet lag all over the place. And I just, I just started getting really angry. And I went from like, I heart New York. I love New York to I hate New York. I hate New York. I hate New Yorkers. This whole place, I told myself this, this whole place is like a den of thieves. Like you can't leave anything on the ground for like, 20 seconds, it's going to get stolen. Like, I can't stand this place. I can't wait to get out of here. And then I went from like, like other sinner contempt and having, you know, externalizing my anger. I went upstairs, brought my anger with me in the room, and my, my poor son was crying because he could feel it coming off of me. And then it was internalized. I said some things out loud, but the review would have been something like this. Johnson, you are such an idiot. You are in New York City. You can't, you can't leave things laying around. Don't you know better than that? You're so stupid. You're losing it. You're, you're, you're starting to lose your edge. Right? Are you getting senile? Come on. And then I actually said this to myself. I, I said to myself, you should run for president. You're like those other two grandpas. They're always forgetting things, saying the wrong stuff. You would fit right in. I literally said that to myself, okay? So keep that between us. YouTube, keep that between us, right? I was just so, so angry at myself. <clears throat> Where do those thoughts come from? They didn't come from God. Like God doesn't talk to me that way. He doesn't talk to you that way. It says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
He convicts and he judges, but he isn't shamed and condemned and beat down. Uh, did those thoughts come from me? I don't usually talk to myself that way. Maybe when I was younger I did, but I'm past that. I'm usually pretty good to myself, which leaves one final option. It's the biblical option, and that is the evil one. The evil one was planting those thoughts in my heart and in my mind. And disconnecting me, by the way, from God and the oneness I've been made to live in. So Krista and the kids, uh, they prayed for me. Got in a little circle. Started praying for me that I'd, I'd find my best. But more importantly, I'd find my peace and get, get re-centered with God. And then we went uh, downstairs because we had an Uber guy waiting for us to take us to the airport. So I get downstairs and there's like this little Kia. I go, yep, it's a Kia, Kia. And there's this 6'4", African-American guy with this James Harden beard, a little bit of gray in it. I go, cool looking guy. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, uh, how are you? I go, I'm livid. I'm livid. First thing out of my mouth, I go, I hate New Yorkers. <laughs> He's like, whoa, here we go. I'm going to be a fun ride. And I go, yeah, I got my vest stolen. He goes, oh, that sucks. And so put Krista, my wife, and the kids in the back seat. I get in the front seat with him. <clears throat> and then we're starting to drive. And as we're driving, I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me, you need to share the gospel with this guy. And I said, no way. No. Have you noticed the kind of mood I'm in? Not doing that. And the Holy Spirit said again, share the gospel with this guy. And I kind of made a deal with God a long time ago. If I'm an Uber, I'm going to try to share the gospel with people. So I go, all right. So I do what I, here's what I normally do. If you're an Uber driver, I'll do this with you. I start with like, you know, hey, how's your job, occupation stuff. You know, you like being an Uber driver. How long have you been doing this? Then I go to family. What's your family like? Do you live here? Blah, blah, blah. And, and then I, I, I talk about hobbies. And then I eventually get to, hey, what, what kind of spiritual background do you have? I'm always interested in people's spiritual background. So I'm walking through these questions I, I always ask. I've had this guy grew up in Queens in the projects. Um, dad got into crack, left him, you know, to fend for himself. He was in a gang, in and out of prison, really hard life. And then I get the spiritual stuff. And I go, what kind of spiritual background do you have? you have any kind of God story? And he goes, dude, 34 years of age. I found Jesus, or he found me, completely, totally changed my whole life. And then for the rest of the drive, man, he's just dropping verses and like, like dimes on me. Bam, bam, bam. He's like preaching to me like crazy. I mean, he's into it. Like this guy was on fire. And then we get to the airport. And I put my hand on him. I pray for him. I give him a three circles diagram that like we just had. I go, dude, you could like put this on the glove box. Preach like you're doing to me right now, like all day long. You're going to be great. And I uh, got the car. I go to the airport. I'm like zippity doo man. Completely different state of being after, after my wife and kids... Don't miss this. Prayed for me. Prayed for my peace. Prayed for the restoration of my, my sanity and my humanity. I honestly can't remember if she prayed against the enemy, but she often does. She probably did. So what we learn from this story is that our, our, we have a common enemy. And I don't care what the prayer request is on the porch, what the presenting problem is, and that's important to pray for too, but the deeper issue is we live in a world where there's an enemy and he's telling us lies, and he's trying to separate us from the living God, from the only one who can answer our deepest questions and satisfy our souls at the deepest level. Let's pray for that. You got that? Okay, number one, pray for protection for one another from the evil one. That's not the only thing he prayed. He also prayed that his truth would transform them and make them one with God. 
He prayed his truth would transform them and restore and strengthen their oneness with God. John 17, 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Again, the idea of protection. So that they may be one as we are one. The same kind of intimacy and oneness that Jesus has with his heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, he wants us to have that. And then in John 17, 17, he prays this, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So he prays for oneness, and then he prays for their sanctification. Now, sanctification, not an everyday word we, we use. So a couple of meanings here. One is it can mean to set apart or to consecrate. How many of you have like special dishes, or your mom had special dishes, china or something, that, that she used or you used for like special occasions? You consecrate certain dishes? A few of you? Three of you. Okay. Tells me a lot about our church. Good, I'm learning. Okay, my wife and I, we have those dishes. We never use them. We have never, we got them eight years ago. We got married. We've never used the special dishes, okay? We're from the Midwest. We like to keep things simple, okay? So we use white paper plates every day of the week, every day. Like we have stacks of these things, okay? Don't judge me. They burn, all right? And then we have like, we have, we have the waxy paper plates with the flowers on them for special occasions, anniversaries, Christmas, birthdays, that kind of thing. That's how we roll. We're from the Midwest, okay? We're very simple people, okay? To sanctify, it can mean to set apart. When you, when you begin to follow Jesus, he sets you apart. He sets you apart to be a member of the family of God, the kingdom of God. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God, sets you apart. But then also sanctify can mean to transform. It, it can mean to like more, it literally means to morph you into something else, a whole different kind of human being. It refers to the process of becoming more and more like Jesus himself and therefore more one with God. I, I, I love this, this definition of di- discipleship, really, and sanctification by John Orberg. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Isn't that good? When you start to follow Jesus, you get baptized, God places his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus that that Jason talked about last week, is inside of you, transforming you, making you like Jesus if Jesus were you, with your body, your personality, your story, your education, everything. Pretty cool. Because the more like Jesus we become, the more like God we become, and therefore the more human we become, because we were meant to bear the image and likeness of God. So how does the sanctification transformation process work? Jesus tells us. He says, it's all about the truth. In John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. So what is the truth? We live in a postmodern era. Big question. What is the truth? Uh, next week, we're going to hear Pilate ask that question. And Jesus answer, answers it, not there, but in other places, like this place. He says, your word is truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. So then we have to ask the question, well, what is the word? Back to, hey, the Bible's a unified story, pointing us to Jesus. Where do we see the, the idea of the word of God being used throughout Scripture? We see it in three places. First of all, the incarnate word, which is Jesus. In, in John 1.14, if we can go way back to the beginning of this series 17 weeks ago, it says in verse 14, the word became flesh. So Jesus, Jesus is the truth. Truth is, if we just want to strip it down to the chassis, truth is reality. It's what's real, Okay. And what's the most real, what's ultimately real, is God. Because he made reality. He created truth. 
And Jesus, when he, he incarnated himself, he embodied the truth. He shows us what ultimate reality looks like when it puts on flesh and clothes. You want to understand what the truth is? Look to Jesus. He taught it and he lived it and he embodied it. And the more we follow him, the more true we will become. But another way of understanding the, the word that leads us deeper into the truth that is Jesus is the written word, which is the Bible. Uh, the Bible is, a, again, unified story, but it's the whole purpose of it is to point us back to the ultimate truth, which is Jesus. But all scripture is inspired by God. It's, he inspired it. It's living, it's active. And when it comes most alive inside of us is when we get to the third way that we learn about the word, it is through the spoken word. And the spoken word in the Bible can refer to preaching or teaching like I'm doing, but also can refer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The spoken word, is a, it's a rhema is the word that's used in Greek. It's when the Holy Spirit either speaks directly to us or when the Holy Spirit illuminates something in the written word that points us to the incarnate word, which is, is Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, a little, little nerd theology here. All right, so let's go back to the three circles in light of this understanding of truth. Okay, so sanctification is the process of replacing the lies of the evil one that we believe up here with the, the truth of God. And that's exactly what happened to me. It kept me from coming back over here and experience oneness with God. Hey, let me just slow that down a little bit. You can kind of take your time. I finished in 21 minutes in the last service. I'm going longer now. Okay? You get the long version. Okay, okay let's go over this one more time. Oneness with God right here. Our longings fulfilled right here. The evil one lies to us and tells us we don't have here. We had to go over here to find what we really do have here. Okay? Then we go over here and we get increasingly broken and anxious and <laughs> pathological, crazy. Okay? The way we get back over here is through Jesus, who is the incarnate word of God. And we read about him in the written word, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, the spoken word. But, but this is the truth we desperately need in order to go from here back over to here. Okay? So what happens is we, we often come to a, a decision about what are we going to do with Jesus? Is he going to be our savior? Is he going to be our king or not? But if we'll humble, us, humble ourselves and receive him as our savior and king, then he begins to create a process of replacing the evil one's lies with his truth, the word of God. And as we grow deeper and deeper in that truth, not just knowing it, but trusting it and obeying it, then we become more and more and more one with God. The process begins with us receiving him as savior and Lord. At that moment, we're united with God. Our sins are forgiven. He died on the cross because death bring, sin brings death. But then we're in this process of constantly growing in the truth and growing in our experience of oneness with God. And that's what happened to me in New York. That's exactly what happened to me. It's like a little instant. I was, I was separated. I was believing all kinds of lies. I, I felt angry, disconnected, full of shame. Uh, again, my son was crying. Anger was coming off of me. And then the kids prayed for me along with Carissa. I start driving with my, my new friend who I discovered was a brother in Christ. He starts telling me all these truths. I go, I know that truth, I know that truth. And I'm starting to talk about the truth with him. And, and slowly but surely, these lies are being replaced with all this truth. And so by the time we got to the airport, I'm back over here. And I'm like zippity doo in the airport. Life is good again. 
And, and, guess what? I found my vest. I did. I found, I found my vest. Guess where it was? In my backpack where I put it. That's where it was. That's where I was. So here, I, I, I actually think I should run for president. Seriously, man. Seriously, those guys are losing like top secret documents and basements and garages and stuff. I just lost a vest and a backpack. So come November, just write me in. Run for president. Here we go. No, please don't do that. <laughs> so how do we pray for people? When people come with, to us with, you know, sick grandmas and sick cats and kids and I need a job, my, my marriage isn't going well. Yet we pray for those things, right? Because God cares about everything. We do pray for that kind of thing. But then we go deeper. And we pray for each other the same way that Jesus prayed for his disciples. We pray for protection from the evil one and his lies that he tells us to separate us from God and destroy us. And we pray for the truth to transform us and sanctify us and make us one again with God. Because the deepest needs of our human hearts, the most important primal questions we ask can only be found with a yes and an amen in Jesus Christ. So we are a church, and Jesus wants us to be a house of prayer. So why don't we pray right now? So take a moment and uh, get a posture of prayer. Maybe, maybe you need to pray for yourself right now. Maybe you need to kind of preach the gospel to yourself a little bit here. Because you came in here in a lowered state. You felt disconnected from yourself, people, God. And, and you heard this message. You're like, man, I, I need more oneness with God. So maybe just take a few minutes if you're a follower of Jesus already and kind of renew yourself with the gospel. Think about the lies you've been believing and replace them with the truth of God. And, and step back into your oneness with him. Or maybe you're, you're thinking today about somebody, some person's on your heart, someone you care about. Maybe they're right next to you. Maybe they're on the other side of the planet. But um, you care about them dearly. And there's needs in their life, and you want to pray for those needs. That's good. Please do that. But go a little deeper like Jesus did with his disciples. Pray for their protection from the evil one. And then pray that the, the truth of Christ would, would sanctify them, transform them and deepen their oneness with God. While you're praying, I want to speak to a couple of, well, I want to speak to those of you who, uh, if you're honest, you would say, I don't know if I've ever really been one with God. We had two people baptized in the last service. And they're experiencing a, a whole different state of being right now. They've been radically transformed because today they responded to the gospel. So let me ask you a couple questions, some gospel questions. In light of the three circles presentation I share with you, do you believe? Do you believe today in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross to forgive your sin and then he rose from the dead? to show you that he was God and to give you the hope of eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe he, he, he came to save you? 
If so, say yes in your heart. Say yes, I believe that. And, and then next question, <clears throat> do you believe he's Lord? Not in some kind of abstract way like Lord of the universe, but is he, is he your Lord? As in right now, are you willing to surrender your life to him and say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. And if you said yes to both those questions, then I would encourage you to, to take your next step and do what two of our brothers and sisters in Christ did earlier today and get baptized maybe right after the service or as soon as you can. Because when you do that, not only are you obeying Jesus, you're, you're saying to him, you have washed me from my sin and you've raised me to a whole new kind of life, a resurrection kind of life. You're thanking him for making you one with him. And Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you You've made oneness with yourself possible. And so we pray collect collectively for ourselves today that we would turn away from those, those lies of the enemy that we, we've been suckered into believing that have separated us from, from you. And that today in every way possible we'd come back to you. We'd, we'd, we'd repent and come back to you and your truth and, and enjoy oneness with you this day.